This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. One of these days, I will master the ability to complete a sentence. Scott Owen. Right, what would I know? I'm just the weekend host around here. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. And welcome to another of the Brisbane Football here. It is Scott and Adam with you. Speakers James is still off our World Cup squad. Adam, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I believe our usual weekday host is uh, is uh, organising some clubhouse named by, named by a bookmaker that we're not allowed to mention on this show. No, we are not allowed to mention that bookmaker on this show. And I've, I thought it was just the fact that he'd got dropped for poor performances in the um, in the preseason. That's what I thought. But you might be right. Well, like I said, it might be he might get traded. Maybe he will. He no, he will be back in a couple of weeks' time. We'll get to the World Cup here in a moment's time. But first, we'll go through the plugs. You can get in contact with us here at the Brisbane Football Review on all of our social media platforms: Facebook, Twitter, World Still Alive, and Instagram, and also email us Brisbane Football Review at gmail.com. And our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms. Adam and We'll start with the A-League women's. This is the Brisbane Football Review, so we'll start local and we'll move international later on. The A-League women's season did kick off on Saturday afternoon at Perry Park. It was a great start for the Brisbane Raw. Two-one winners over the Newcastle Jets. Goals from from Larissa Crummer and and um, Sham Fryer in a short space time in that first half really set up the win. Newcastle came back into it, but unlike last year where the Raw faded and dropped points. This time they were able to hold on and get the crucial three points to start the season. Yeah, and I think that's probably the um, the first thought coming out of that that game is that where the Raw started off very, very well, they were in complete control in that first half. Uh, to credit Newcastle, who were pretty ordinary in the first half, maybe it was the weather. It was it was a warm day, admittedly, up up here on now two p.m. a kickoff on a Saturday afternoon, not ideal in November in this part of the world. <clears throat> That one, that one's for uh, the illustrious uh, APL about about their scheduling. But anyway, that's besides the point. But in the second half, I thought they fought back well. They they got a they got to go back through a pretty clear penalty, and uh, they had their chances to properly level. But uh, to their credit, I think the uh, Brisbane Raw defence, I think they showed a lot more resolute than they did probably this time last year. So uh, a good a good handy three points to start the season. I think that scheduling is going to be an issue all year long, given the APL have seemingly designated that Saturday 2pm window is where a lot of the A-League women's games are going to be played, a lot of simultaneous kickoffs in that window. So that could be a problem all year long as the heat kicks off here and we, as we move into the summer months. But you mentioned the defence there, Adam. We'll go through the team in, in bit by bit here. And the defence was much improved this year, wasn't it, in terms of what we saw. But the experience that... Kasia Lind added in the back line was really noticeable. And her combination with Jamila Rankin looks like it could be a really good one for the Raw going forward. It looks like now Jamila will be that centre-back as opposed to a left-back. As we were speculating on to last week, where would Jamila fit in? It looks like it's going to be as a centre-back. Yeah, that, that was, uh, there was a couple of surprises sprung, I think, from what we sort of... Uh sort of intimated on the show last week. The biggest surprise would we at the time of recording last week that we didn't factor in was that then it came out that Katrina Gorey is going to miss the first month of the season uh, to, to rest you know, after a long season in Sweden and with a World Cup year ahead. So she's going to take, she's going to take you know, the first uh, 
few weeks off, which sort of then sort of, you know, threw, I guess, the plans a little bit into sort of the unknown. But, uh, but yeah, look, I think the, we, we all expected and we sort of had that Jamila Rankin, you know, going back to what we've known her as a left back. But it looks very, very clear that Gareth McPherson prefers her to be a centre back. And that combination with Castle Lind, I think it's going to be very, very, uh, it's going to be very, very crucial to the success of the side. But on Castle Lind, I think she, she looked very, very good, very solid. Um, looked like she had a lot of time on the ball, you know, in defence. I think she, I think she's, you know, so far after 90 minutes, I think she's going to be a, a very, very solid signing. Absolutely going to fill that hole in the centre of defence, which probably was there last year in terms of an experienced player. Castle Lind looked like she's going to fit that position very very well. In terms of the fullbacks, Annie Haffenden playing it right back isn't something I think, don't think anyone really saw that coming. She did okay, but Tamar Levin on the left was really impressive in her debut as a young player. We'll hear from Gareth McPherson in a minute, but he had really strong praise for Tamar's performance. And the four, she did really well on that left hand side, didn't she? Yeah, that, that was the other uh, big surprise when we, when we received the team sheets about, about an hour before the game. You know, Tamar Levin, you know, we know her more as a attacking player playing for the QAS to actually lob up at um, in that left fullback role. But look, she quit herself very well. Uh, on on the other side, Annie Happenen, I'm not. I'm not fully sold on her as a as a right back yet. Apparently, she's only just starting to learn that position. A bit bit like Anna McGrath last year, where she had to sort of grow into the role. She had an okay game. Like I, I think that yeah, that there might be some of the quicker wingers in um in the league for some of the better teams. That that may be a sterner test. But look, she didn't do anything too catastrophic, and uh, yeah, like if she if that's a role that she's going to play um, going forward, you now hopefully there's sort of the improvement uh, will be there. But so I look, I prefer Annie Haffenden as a centre back, but obviously you can't fit three into two unless you drastically change the formation. Please don't talk about left wingers getting past right fullbacks. I'm still trying to move on from that this morning, but I look Annie Haffenden. <laughs> it's a position that is unfamiliar for her, and and you'll see her build into it at your point over the course. Season. It was interesting to, see, interesting to see that she was comfortable getting forward as a right back, which is something as a as a centre back to be unnatural for her. So that's probably the part that she's going to have to really yeah. learn of when to get forward and how to get forward. But as you, as you said, it's the first game there, and she'll get better over the course of the season. The front third, Adam, was something we have seen a bit of before: Marielle Hecker, Shay Connors, and Larissa Crummer, and that combination is really starting to become a big part of this team now. Yeah, oh, absolutely, and throwing Sean Fryer as well. Uh, yeah, you know, given given a start as well. You know, uh, sort of yeah. After after her sort of struggles, yeah, you know, coming back from a serious knee injury. Yeah, that that front four, and it looks like that Mariel Hecker seems to be playing that number ten role, that you know, playmaker role. And as we've seen, you know, for for our lines, you know, it, it really suits her. And uh, I think also as well, you know, looking at you know, overall, Larissa Kramer, she looks like she's um. She's already got a bit of confidence, you know, obviously through the Matildas, you know, through the camps and, you know, playing in the recent internationals. And look, Shay Connors, uh, I think I think she's come back um, an even, you know, stronger player than she was probably 12 months ago. Uh, obviously, you know, having A-League women's experience in that full season. But that season in uh, MPL New South Wales, I think that she may come back, it's come back even more complete player. And that's only a good thing for the Raw. Absolutely. And you mentioned Sean Fry there. It was great to see her get that goal, wasn't it? Her first second goal in the A-League women she scored in her first year as well. But for everything that she's been through with a knee injury, to get back into this level of football and have a really good impact down that left-hand side was really pleasing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's I think what you want to see. It's still back to the Sean Fry that that you know we knew two years ago that we thought you now really was a was a top prospect. Uh, look, yeah, she'll she'll still come along. She's still got a little bit more to go to become the complete sort of you know a you know a bona fide starting A League women's player, but. Look, I think um, the signs are good that you know she's come, she's come back and sort of you know is, good, is starting to get you know really into the you know the motions now uh, after the injury, which you know, as we know it can take some time depending on the confidence of, of players, you know how much they exert themselves, how much they can really push themselves. I think she's gone past that now. I reckon she's probably feeling com- very comfortable again, and the signs are good from that um, from her display on uh, Saturday. Absolutely. We saw towards the end of her NPL women's season with Morton Bay, she was getting better and better by each game. So I think that's a very good point you make there. Two more quick quick hit, quick um, things on the Raw squad. Adam Hensley handcuff in goal. We found out after the game it was her first ever professional appearance. And she did quite well, didn't she? Yes, she gave the penalty away, and it was very clearly a penalty. Nothing you can say about that. But the rest of her game was really impressive. Oh, even even the penalty, I'd say that you know that that's you know, a slight blemish, if if anything else. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't really uh, put that down to anything more than that. I think it was just it was actually I actually think it was a really good play from um from Newcastle, Adriana uh, Konyarski, uh, formerly Adriana Jones. Uh, that you know, I think she it was more that you know her her initiative is what sort of forced uh, Hensley handcuff into conceding that penalty. Uh, but yeah, look overall, I think what is going to be striking for um, you know, watching Hensley handcuff go through the season is that uh, her presence. She she as she she's tall, she's strong, she she punches well. Once she really gets that communication going with her defenders uh, about you know whose ball it is, it, I think a lot of teams who probably in the past, I think in, in at least the past season, targeted the aerial route against the raw. I think it's an avenue that's going to get cut off really, really quickly because with with Lind and uh, handcuff, I think it's a it's a very, very you know, aerially strong defense. And I think it's something that you know the raw. I think I think are going to be you know very, very gifted you know ha- having there. Yeah, the height of Crummer and Haffenden as well, amongst mm. others. And they've got some real, really, really tall players there who can defend set pieces and also be weapons at the other end. Just quickly, Margot Rabin started on the bench. That was probably a bit of a surprise, but you saw it in the second half in glimpses what she can bring as well. Yeah, look, uh, ex- an experienced player, uh, you know, that you know, played in for a number of uh, A-League women's clubs now. Uh, and I, I think she's going to be very, very handy to have, you know, as, as a starting player or as coming off the bench. Uh, she came on for Mariel Hecker at halftime. Uh, apparently, not no, as we hear from the interview, the, the, with uh, Gareth McPherson, nothing to worry there. It was actually pre-programmed that she's only get 45 minutes. And I think what was actually more most impressive as well about the Raw's performance in the second half, it was at one stage without a number of their key experienced players. Absolutely, it was. And it was without like, a couple of their experienced players. I'll talk about Newcastle very quickly, Adam, in terms of what they were like. And so they were they were a threat in this side of the game where they certainly had their chance to have Sarah Griffith, Ashley Brodigan, and Murphy Agnew, the American import, for who's got on the score sheet eventually for Newcastle. They certainly created their opportunity. So it wasn't a flawless performance from the Roar. And there was enough from the Jets to suggest that they're going to be able to trouble teams in this in this A-League women's season as they begin to build as well. Yeah, uh, look, Murphy Agnew looks a very, very impressive uh, player. Obviously, we're seeing we're seeing her for the first time in this league. Uh, look, I thought Newcastle in the first half there they they did sort of struggle again. I think it was more uh, the the 
the heat. I think that may may have sort of caused that plus, you know, a very strong start, dominant start by the Raw. The second half, yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that they, they were good value and probably, you know, a bit of luck goes their way. Um and you know a bit of, and a bit of sort of you know, uncertainty from the raw, and I think that they get back into that game. So certainly, uh, a loss three points it, it may be, but it may it's certainly not the end of the world for them. And obviously, as well, I want to push out to Adriana Konyarski, uh, who went down a very very sort of heavy innocuous incident with um, Hensley Haircut for a goal that was actually ruled out. Because of um, a, pass, a passive offside, um, and yeah, I believe that yeah, she might be. It's a season-ending injury, so you know we we wish her well. Uh, we know Adriana Kuniaski slash Nee Jones. Um, she had she battled her sort of demons over the last few years, um, and, and yeah, to see to sort of you know to see her season end like that, it's it's a, it's a real shame. So we wish her all the best. Absolutely, and hope we see her back on the field again soon. There. One last thing on this game, and before we hear from the head coach of the Raw, Gareth McPherson, there was the matchup down the left hand, the, the Raw's right hand side, Newcastle's left, which there was a lot of interest for us up here in Queensland. Shay Connors against Cannon Cloth. Is we've got to give the points on this occasion to to Shay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think. Um... Yeah, Shay Shay was excellent. Um, like I said, the the, the two pretty much te- one one assist, technically two assists um, in in this in uh, this game. I think yeah, she yeah, I think uh, yeah, Cannon had a pretty tough outing against one of her very very good friends. So so yeah, but that look at look Cannon Clough, she'll she she'll do well for um, Newcastle. She's she's an accomplished player, so it's just yeah, it may be difficult you know playing someone that actually probably knows her very very well. And great to see the Lions FC co-captain getting a chance once again. Absolutely, and almost scored as well from a set piece early on. Very good header, which is well saved from Hensley Hancock. Now after the game, we caught up with the head coach of the Brisbane Raw, Gareth McPherson. This is what Gareth had to say after he started off the season with a 2-1 win. Oh, Newcastle will be back right after this. Yeah, Gareth uh, held on nicely. A great start by your girls. Uh, Shay Connors, what a, what a game. Yes, yeah. Shay has gone away and worked on her game down in the New South Wales Premier League. She wanted to go and challenge herself and come back a better player and contribute more to the team and I think she's had a great start. Yeah, she's really well. Very athletic. Like she She's one of your fittest players by the look of her as well. She is. She actually, I think uh, test-wise, she probably is the fittest or one of the fittest. Uh, she never stops. She also had the advantage today where the way we were trying to defend, we actually wanted to use her speed a little bit more on that side, so the fans got to see her really getting out to tackle. I'm sure Sean Fry can do it on the other side, but today it was Shay's chance. What about your goalie? Great to like, yeah. amazing save. Massive, big save down here in that first half. I'm oh, sorry, the far end. Um, believe it or not, she said to me before the game, that's her first professional football match. So while she's been contracted in the NWSL for Gotham for uh, a season or two, she actually's never played a game. She's played pre-season cups, Challenge Cup, but she's never played a, a fixture match. So what a superstar. She's, um, she's showing why we brought her over here traits and characteristics that you were going to get. Leader, communicator, shot stopper, good distribution. Um, lovely on set pieces. I mean, to have the confidence of a six foot three human in there coming out, punching loud. Yeah. yeah. Teams will probably have to set up a bit differently on their set pieces this year. Yeah. She's in there. So, 
good to get a win first up. That's what you want, three points. It is. It is, definitely. And it was probably the management of that game towards the very end that was the most pleasing thing. The way we... There were times last year for our team where we, we wanted to be big in the biggest moments and occasionally the opponent was a little bit bigger than us and we managed that game out. So, And that's what we're supposed to be able to do that. You know, deal with the pressure, deal with long passes, four strikers... It was yeah, very pleasing to get a win. It was nice to see the fans back at Perry Park. Um, you mentioned closing out the game. That was a big problem at the start of last year in particular. Was that a big emphasis for you at halftime and then in the drinks break to make sure they do see this game out right? Yeah, the, the, the drinks break probably it was handy um, to have that there just to reset them. But we can still see in the actions of some of the less experienced players uh, just an understanding of game management. Um, so we've got to keep working on that. We had players running to take quick throw-ins with three minutes to go. Uh, it just yeah, so we, we, we've worked on it during pre-season. Rachel Jones, our sports psychs, really helped us with that, and it was nice to see that work pay off uh, today in that last ten minutes. What's been nice was that combination in the front third. Those players you had last year, Marielle, Larissa, yeah. and Shay, once again combining really well. That form, that combination is really building. Yeah, they are, and. and Chris is, Chris is lethal, great for her to get a goal in her, in her first game back after the Matildas camp. Um, but anyone watching that, the amount of work she does in defence for us is just phenomenal. Um, and we're able to be really aggressive in our pressure because of her speed and acceleration. So she will cover more ground there than any other player on the pitch and do more sprinting than any other player, without a doubt. So she's a weapon in attack, which is equally as a weapon as a defender too. And just fine for me, speaking of the defence, um, the two fullbacks, Tamar Levin made her debut today, yes. and also Annie Haffin to play yeah. an unfamiliar role right back. How do you think those two went uh, in those roles? But, uh, both, both really great. Annie's come off her... She's a centre-back for us last year, so she's had four and a half weeks to learn the role, and if that's what she's done after four and a half weeks, I look forward to seeing what she does after five and a half and six and a half. Uh, and Tamar Levin found out two days ago before her graduation uh, that we were going to start her as a fullback. She earned that. She played really well in pre-season. So she's a 17-year-old, just graduated from high school. Probably an unfamiliar position. She's more of a winger than a fullback. But I, um, it was great to see her do so well. You didn't have Tegan Thompson sign this week. Is she, too, is she close to getting a chance to play in that position yeah. next week? Yeah, yeah. Tegan was brought in for Talitha. Um, late injury sign-ins and you've got to go through all the uh, medical assessments and tests and Tegan is a school teacher, a primary school teacher, so had a bit of a uh, disjointed training week uh, so we kind of, you know, Tegan will be featuring soon, so next week will be the first full week of training and we're excited to see her. And that was graphic first, and apologies for the music in the background there, but that was what Gareth had to say, Adam, after the game on Saturday afternoon, he was rightly pleased with his side's performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's a pleasing performance enough that it's not, well, again, as you said, that it wasn't a perfect performance, um, which, which is, in week one, yeah, it's not a bad, that's not a bad thing. You don't, you don't want to go into the season and think that you, you know it all and you, and you, it's all firing because that's, that's where disaster can happen. So there's a lot of room for improvement, but uh, yeah, overall it's positive and they put them in good stead ahead of their uh, match against uh, Canberra on Saturday. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But firstly, as you know, on this show, we always do our 3 2 1 Player of the Year voting to see who will be the Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year. And Adam, you're up first this week for the nominations. Who you, who gets your votes this week? Uh, look, it's probably no no um, sort of surprise you know, from from my summation. Uh, three points, Shay Connors. I get 
uh, was an absolute terror on that right hand side. She looks she looks very very comfortable on that side. Um, she's sort of been she's seen her in the past, obviously sort of either centre or left. But yeah, to see her on the right. But she yeah one one assist uh, with a beautiful ball for Sean Fryer. And the second one was you know, technically a, an assist if uh, Mariel Hecker hadn't shot. Shot surf passed it to uh, Lucy Crummer. So three points to her, two points Hensley Handcuff for a quite debut professional game. That was an excellent outing. And one point Sean Fry. She was she was very good on the left hand side and actually got got a goal as well to boot. So but amongst again, when, when you win like that, a number of players so stand there. Carshall Lind, another one probably unlucky not to get a point. And also Jamila Rankin was very, very impressive in that, that centre back pairing. So but we can only give three two ones out, and that's what I vote for this week. Absolutely. So that was Adam's three two ones, and one one of us every single week will reveal our votes. The other two will be kept back, and we'll announce the winner at the end of the A League Women's season in May. And just quickly on that point, you mentioned Shay Connors. We've spoken about her before in this show, but on the right hand side, I do agree with you. She does seem like she's more natural and comfortable, able to make things happen in the in the front third. Yes, we've seen her on the left at the MPL level have to devastating results in terms of goals and assists, but maybe at this level it's best for her to play off that right-hand side. Yeah, it's very, very strange because you're right. Um, our memories of Shay Connors up here in New, in in MPL Queensland is that she's always she's always you know scoring goals you know sort of goes to the end of the far post you know when when the attack comes down the right hand side and she's always either you know running on or you know cutting back in and scoring. Where she seems to actually add that spring to her bow where she you know, she's become a bit of a provider and, you know coming to that right hand side like a couple of those, the two passes that she score where the goals are scored, they would just pinpoint. So I think, again, I think her time down in New South Wales, I think has made it an even more complete player. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see you know, how far she can go. I think she could be one of the real stars of this league if that progression continues. Absolutely. So that was round one. The A-League Women's is back in Brisbane on, on Saturday in round number two, back-to-back home games to start the year for the Brisbane Raw at... Perry Park once again, Saturday afternoon, 2pm. This time against Canberra United. Adam, two three-all draws last year between these two sides and pretty even contest, both of them. What are your thoughts on this matchup? It's a, it'd be, if the Raw can win this game, it'd be a fantastic start to the season. Yeah, I think this is another step up again for for the Raw. I think Newcastle, while they're, they're a handy team, I think Canberra, uh, especially on paper, a probably a more formidable outfit. Uh, look, you say that you know two, three old draws last season. Um, these two sides have been neck and neck, you know, pretty much for the last you know, you know ten years, uh, sorry, fifteen years of the uh, of the uh, A League or the A League Women's or the W League, as it's known in the past. Like these, are, these are two of the heavyweights of the competition, and they've always if if they, if one's not flogging the other. They are playing out, you know, very, very close games. So, so yeah, and I, I expect the same uh, this Saturday. I think uh, they're both. I think both squads are very, very evenly matched. Absolutely, it was a two-all draw for Canberra in their first game of their A-League Women's season at home against Perth Glory. They took the lead twice before the Glory pegged Canberra back. And as as you know, Adam, every time you think about Canberra, the first way you think of is Michelle Heyman, and it's going to be a great test for this new look raw centre back pairing of how how they keep the A-League women's golden boot quiet. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what, what will make Canberra even more dangerous is uh, 
New Zealand international Grace Yale, who got on the score sheet uh, against Perth. I think that that's a, a normally uh, Michelle Heyman. She normally works as a lone wolf, you know, for for Canberra, especially in recent times. But she's got a very competent uh, strike partner, so that that might change the dynamic as far as you know. They, they don't want to they don't want to um, focus too much on Michelle Heyman because that means Yale probably you know will get more opportunities or vice versa. And uh, yeah, so and and Michelle Heyman does seem to have a real knack of scoring against the Raw as well. She most certainly does that. She scored plenty of goals against the Raw in years past. In fact, it's 12 goals she's scored against the Raw. But Vesna Milivojevic also... I was hoping I was hoping you had that stat. I had that open, so you're very lucky. But Vesna, Vesna <laughs> Milivojevic also, the Serbian international from Canberra, also got on the score sheet in their two-all draw against Perth. So your, to your point, it seems like Canberra have found a couple of other alternatives, alternative paths to goal that could make them a more well-rounded team. And we saw last year... They were probably good enough in terms of goals, threats through Michelle Heyman to challenge for the top four, but they just lacked additional threats. So if that's the case now, Campbell look like they're another team who could could be pushing for that top four position as well. Oh, absolutely. I think they've certainly got the class there. And also, also as well, uh, their Chinese import, uh, Wu Chengshu. Uh, as well, I think uh, she she comes highly regarded as well. Uh, uh, probably I'm not sure where she's at as far as international setup. I sort of didn't do deep, do a deep dive on her background, uh, but uh, but yeah, like obviously you know if they're an import player, they're obviously got some ability. And uh, and if, if she's not already in the setup, I reckon that you know this time out in Australia, you know, is really setting up for her to make a run at making that squad come July. Absolutely. Two more quick things before we move on from the Adelaide Women's. Congratulations to Wellington Phoenix on setting the um, A-League women's attendance record over there in New Zealand, their first ever home game. So congratulations to that. And also congratulations to was that Was that a paid, was that a paid uh, attendance? I was going to let you get onto that in just a moment. Also, firstly, congratulations <laughs> to Western United, yeah. who in their yeah. first ever game, they did beat the defending champions, Melbourne Victory. A great result down there for Western United. And they're two notable, notable storylines out of the first weekend of the Adelaide women's season. Yeah, I think it's I think it's great. You know, obviously Wellington the result the result didn't go their way. Um look but again, I think Mel- Melbourne City are probably a class or two above at the moment of Wellington. They're obviously still building only the second year as a professional uh women's club. So but like I said, obviously uh for game one over there, uh women's football is alive and well over in uh in Wellington. While we shouldn't expect 5,000 every week at, at Sky Stadium. Um, still, that, that's a very, very good good, uh, good sort of advertisement for the women's game. And obviously, uh, our our cousins over the ditch uh, are also getting pretty excited about the World Cup uh, in in uh, next year. Absolutely. Speaking of the World Cup, that's an excellent segue, Adam. You should be, I think you should be hosting this show at some point with, with segues yeah, like yeah. that. But we'll move on to the International Festival of the Round Ball. We won't call it the World Cup too many times. We've got FIFA might get onto us for that one, but soccer is, did start their World Cup campaign this morning, Wednesday morning, against France over in Doha. It was a 4-1 win for the defending world champions. Two goals from Olivier Giroud, Adrian Rabio, and Kylian Mbappe on the score sheet as well. Craig Goodwin did get the, the game started, Adam, and it looked like for a 10-15 minute period there, it looked like the Socceroos were going to shock the world. Unfortunately, then they fell back into their bad habits, and, and France, as we expected, ran over the top of them. Yeah, 
Sad, sadly, World Cup games aren't won in, in the first 15 minutes. And because uh, if they are, Australia was taking three points. But uh, look, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one that, you know, I, so the, the feeling is, is that, you know, coming into this game, like, you know, other than these sort of the Euro snobs, you know, probably reveling in those results, I, I told you so. Um, look, I think, you know, most of the fair, you know, soccer supporters, you know, there was sort of an inkling of hope, especially when, with all the injuries that happen, happens, well, Kareem Benton of the current Ballon d'Or, you know, be ruled out for tournament, and all of a sudden there's a bit of sort of optimism it didn't help the opponent as far as the you know, after after ten minutes going in front. You're thinking, oh wow, it's on. But yeah, look, France France are just at you know another level. I think the golf the golf of class between France, who are ranked four in the world, and Australia, who are ranked thirty eight in the world. Look, sadly, it's light years. It, it, like I said, we, there, there's obviously you know there's, there's talk about you know how the how the, this French side is valued 35 times more than what the Socceroos are and all that. So money's one thing, but you can just tell just the skill, the class, the, the mental aptitude of it. I think it's just at the end of the day, France are world champions for a reason. Yes, their form was pretty, yeah, you know, was pretty questionable coming in, but they really turned it on. They, I think that's more so. The, the biggest fear was fear, fearing themselves. I think they really sort of overcame that, and I think they really made a statement uh, to the rest of the world. So their their uh, World Cup defence is back on track. Absolutely. Look, I get what you're saying, but also for the first 15 minutes, the Socceroos dealt with all of that. They were in the French faces. They got their goal. They deserved the lead. And then for some inexplicable reason, they fell back into the habits of what they did in the World Cup World Cup qualifying campaign and sat back. I don't understand why they they didn't just keep going the way they were going. Everything they were doing in the first 15 minutes was working to perfection. And then it seemed like they just wanted to sit back and absorb pressure and try and hit on the counterattack. And it was way too early for that. And as soon as they did that, that's when you saw the French players really begin to dictate the game. You saw Adrian Rabiot, who came into that role where Paul Pogba was last time and looked absolutely sublime in there in terms of his playmaking ability, picking out Dembele, picking out Mbappe. Griezmann in the hole was absolutely superb as well. But it wasn't until the Socceroos sat back they were able to do that, Adam. And I just wonder if they'd followed a similar path to that first 15 minutes, not necessarily what Saudi Arabia did earlier in the day against Argentina, just continue to what they were doing in their first 15 minutes. Could they have really rattled France and maybe forced them into into some extra mistakes? Because we do know France have a, that ability to panic in them. But the Socceroos never it's, it's, allowed that to happen because they sat back instead of continuing on the path they started the game. I feel horrible saying this, but it's almost like scoring after nine minutes for the Socceroos was almost the worst thing that could have happened. That you know, if it had been you know the 79th minute. That sort of that sort of play and and scores you know, nil all. Then that that sort of you know tactic tactic of you know sitting back trying to absorb pressure and you know and and you know sort of you know, just basically scrambling, it's just not sustainable over over seventy five minutes you know, and a half. Like especially when you've got such gifted ball players like you know. Yeah, killing Mbappe. Like for for all the talk about, you know, I think he's a bit. Honestly, I think he's a bit of a prima donna. I think, you know, it's sort of that arrogant streak. But yeah, you know, he's a special player, and you just cannot let him just run and run and run. And that poor old Nathaniel Atkinson really got a lesson um, in, you know, sort of in trying to trying to mark, you know, probably one of the world's best players. And uh, I don't think, as it's fair, on the other side as well, had much peace as well with um, Dembele. So. 
look, I think when you've got players of that skill, they, they get paid that money for a reason. And uh, I, I think there's some lessons we learned. I, I really appreciate that, you know, you know, with Harry Kuehl on commentary with David Bashir for SBS, and, you know, the, the honesty that he was talking in, you know, rather than sort of trying, you know, to, you know, pardon my French, you know, pissing in the pockets of and fanboying the, with the French. You know, he was very, like, he's very, very honest and brutal about, you know, about the Socceroos that, you know, every time that they sort of go forward, as soon as they, there was a, you know, they ran into sort of a bit of a cold sack, pass backwards. You know, and, and, it's the one thing that I know that I, I can't be the only one. In you know watching you know soccer and watching Australian football in general, you know watching it in the A League, you know this whole fascination of oh, as soon as you know your forward momentum's halted, the first the first move is to go backwards rather than trying to look forward or trying to pivot or try and take on your defender. Like I, I'm, it's just it's just a case of you know it's so frustrating. I think you know finally someone of, of prominence in you know calling it is calling it out for what it is, and that that's and it's really a. It was really a flaw on the on the Australian on Australian football, not just in our top team, but just across the board. I see. Uh, you know, Harry Kew was obviously outstanding in co-com. Yeah. It's great to have him in there, and he was probably yeah. this is the best co-com team they've actually had for David Bashir. They've gone with different ones every World Cup, but he was absolutely superb in the great hero's insight. Hopefully, he's there again at the weekend against Tunisia. But to your point about the going backwards all the time, it was almost a microcosm of the soccer's World Cup qualifying campaign, wasn't it? It started off so well and then eventually started going backwards with the ball and ultimately found out frustration it's very similar wasn't it because that's the way the whole campaign played out so it seemed like everything Graham and I said before the game about we're going to take it to the take it to them and we're going to believe in ourselves it seemed like if that was was the instructions it wore out pretty quickly they they did and and look at what it reaped after nine minutes they they were brave they they pushed forward now maybe it was a case of they they got in front and gone Oh my God! This wasn't supposed to happen. What do we do? And they just looked into their into, into playing that sort of you know, that conservative, you know, let, let's you know, let's just you know, try and play off the counter and and absorb pressure. You just cannot do that against a side with the with the you know the uber talent that that the French team do. You might get away with that against Denmark or Tunisia. You, you may, but. Against France, knowing what they've got in attack, and we we said in the in the preview show last week, like I said, they they've got a galaxy of stars for a reason. And then you know it's a case of you know when you can take off a player like a Osama, Osama Dembele and bring on Kingsley Coman, for example, you're thinking, oh geez, it just never ends. So you are thinking, that. and then there's still the, then there's <laughs> the guys who weren't even there with the injury, yeah. like like Karim Benzema, who yeah. drops out all of a sudden. Olivier Giroud comes in, pops up with a couple of goals, and all yep. of a sudden he's is a maligned player for the French, but he's now their equal all-time goal scorer. Yeah, oh look, I'm a big fan of uh, Giroud being an AC Milan, um, being AC Milan supporter, so I'm very very happy that he's continuing on. But uh, yeah, you're right. He 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 has had a very love hate relationship in Fulbleur, and uh, yeah, but you're right. His his record he he um, matches the great Thierry Henry. So and look, he's, he's every chance at some stage in this tournament of going past past the the, the great Henry. So so yeah, look, obviously you can't argue with those sort of results. He probably will go past him now at this point, but this does bear a bit of comparison to that 2010 game in Durban where the Socceroos were comprehensively outclassed. And we won't go back to that in any detail, but what that result meant is Australia had two finals against Ghana and against Serbia. And the same is true now for the Socceroos in 2022. They basically have to beat 
Tunisia, and they're going to have to beat Denmark. And before we talk about those two matches, Adam, those two sides played out a nil-all draw earlier in the day over there in Qatar. With the nil-all draw, as I said, Tunisia were really impressive in that game. They had a lot of crowd support, which was no surprise to me, given the proximity and also in other sports over there in Qatar when Tunisian players are playing, there's big crowds. So that wasn't a surprise, but their crowd really carried them in that game and they were really energetic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they they were probably they feel a bit unlucky, not not uh, not not beating Denmark. Dem- Denmark, you know, they they again they were solid. Uh, they probably deserved the point in the end. But I thought Tunisia, you know, from from the sort of highlights that I saw, I thought they were really good. And this, this certainly, when we say that, yes, it's must win for Australia for you know next two games. They want to make the round of sixteen. It's going to be an extraordinary feat, and I think the Socceroos, yes, they're going to have to, um, you know, pick themselves up, you know, and rebound after this loss. But I guess, it, I guess it could be worse. The fact is that, you know, they beat they've the number one seed in this, um, in in this uh, group. They've played them now. They, they, yes, they did cop a heavy loss, and that goal difference is going to be an issue because it means that basically they need to win two games. And also hope that France run the board against those other two nations as well. So they're going to need some help. But uh, look, I think it all comes down to prime time on Saturday night. And then we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, they're going to need France to run the table and to, to, to put a similar sort of result in against Tunisia and or Denmark. And hope that four points with their goal difference, not the, not the best, is going to assist them. But they're, right, they're going to have to just game against Tunisia. They're going to have to find a way to win. If you were Graham, I mean, know what, we probably know what he's going to do, Adam, but if you were Graham Arnold, what would you be doing between now and Saturday to try and get a result against Tunisia? I think you just go say the first 15 minutes, you've got to try and find do that for 90 or you know, at least you know, for 75 and then hold on. Like I said, because the first 15 minutes was very, very good. It's probably some of the best football we've seen uh, the Socceroos play in this cycle, this World Cup cycle. I, I, so yeah, and that, that comes from you know just being brave, you know, you know, throwing out the conservatism and you know, really going for it. They're gonna have to do that for a lot longer um, against Tunisia. So I think that, that's probably the key to it all. Uh, you know, they may need to make a couple of changes. I think um, while, while while I think that you know the, the starting lineup sort of I thought it was a, it was a strong stone lineup. I think there's a couple. I think you know Aiden Hushich need, probably needs to come back in. Uh, defensively, oh, look, I'd like to, I thought Kai Rolls was good. Uh, Harry Suthar, you know, was good in path, but he did get, he did get uh, really isolated against, you know, you know, against Mbappe and, um, and also uh, Giroud when they, when they had it. And there was even the Rabiot uh, goal as well. I think he was sort of left about. See, I think that's more a case of, you know, that's what happens. You play play one uh, senior game in a year, but, uh, well, do you, do you roll the roll of dice again, or do you do you go say a Milos Degenek, you know, in the middle, or you know, or a Bailey Wright? So I think that there may be there may be a change there. Maybe also the fullbacks might need to they may need to think long and hard about uh, about that. Not not so from a defensive point of view, but more from an attacking point of view. I thought Craig Goodwin, but I think he he was very very good, obviously scoring that goal, and uh, I thought also Matt Leckie was um was pretty good in parts. Oh, I would. Because I would change the goalkeeper, but the goalkeeper I would change in isn't there, so we won't go into that. But yeah. I'd bring in Alwamabil down the left hand side for his yeah. speed and energy. I'd bring in Arjun Hustic, as you said, and I would just take that first attempt and say, "This is what, this is what we're at our best. Go and do it." 
if it lasts 65, 70 minutes, you have to hang on the last 20, so be it. But go with that intensity from minute one. That's what I would do as well. But we'll have to see how Socceroos go against Tunisia in prime time here on Saturday. I wish them all the best in that one. We might recap that next week. And hopefully we're talking about a big game against Denmark, but we'll have to wait. And to just quickly before we wrap up, Adam, anything else, just one thing that stood out for you over the course of the World Cup so far? Obviously, the big one was Saudi Arabia against Argentina. That was the big result. But what what's really stood out for you in the first couple of days? Uh, well, one number one would be, yeah, Saudi Arabia. What a result. What a result of Argentina. I'm sort of, you know, sort of you know, crying my drink because, you know, obviously, you know, I actually backed Argentina win it. And now uh, that, that puts that bet in real peril. But look, uh, congratulations, Saudi Arabia. You know, they, 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 they went down after 10 minutes, probably, you know, had a bit of luck, a slice of luck, having three offside, um, three goals ruled offside, you know, in the first half. But again, fortune favours the brave. And that's what they did in the second half. They came out and look what happened. They result, And this ground defence in the last, you know, 15 minutes was some of you know, the most, you know, brave stuff I've seen in a while. So, you know, congratulations on that, you know. And I hope they still don't revel in that. Sort of, you know, my 1A sort of thing is, oh, FIFA. Oh, geez. Are they, I don't know if they're, are they just trying to, you know, be controversial? And, you know, again, look at the football on the pitch. It's been great, but everything is diverted about what's going on off the pitch. You know, Gianni Infantino saying some of the most dumbest things. Uh, look, I don't, I don't know where that that speech came from the day before that press conference. I, I really don't know what he was thinking on that. A few things he sort of said since, and I said the beer ban, the uh, the the issues with the with the uh, captain's armband and whatnot. Yeah, it's just yeah, like it, it's sad because like I said the football on the pitch uh, so far. I've had well, we've had you know eight games now. Completed and look, all eight games have been pretty decent, but uh, yeah, like I said, it's very, very hard to escape the looming shadow of the controversy off the pitch. You know, just gotta hope that you know, you know, that the focus remains on the pitch because I think there's gonna be some good games to come. I can't disagree with what you said. There's been rightly a lot of spotlight on some of the off field issues. I think everything that's been said about that, particularly your point about the armband stuff and the beer ban and that ridiculous press conference, it's just. It's almost like FIFA just starts how far can we push this yeah. before people just really turn on us? It's almost, it's almost self-sabotage. It, you, it is. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. I can't understand, can't understand why they're doing what they're doing, but unfortunately they they do run the game and it's just, yeah. oh, I wish that that would change, but unfortunately at the moment it's not going to change. On the field, I think Sandra was the best performance. The best game, however, I thought was Senegal and Netherlands. That was a superb game. And those two sides looked like they, that was the best in game between two sides. Normal. So far, we've seen games where one side's played really well and the other side hasn't. This was two sides playing really well. I think both the other sides in Group A, including the hosts, who have they turned up yet? They might turn up soon, the hosts. But those, those two sides, Senegal and Netherlands, look really, really impressive. Oh, like Senegal, I think that might be the most unluckiest two nil defeats in a long, long time. They, they, if you, they deserve something out of that. But uh, yeah, look, it's just a little bit of brilliance from from the Netherlands, from some of their young guns. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said, they they walk away with the three points. Well, I think that's just, I think those two sides are comfortably through in Group A. Uh, 
yeah, you know, like I said, England, England as well. Yeah, you know, they they turned it they turned it on as well. Uh, Iran sort of, I think maybe maybe their minds might be else elsewhere to a certain point. Uh, and look, I thought Wales and US as well was a was a, was a very very good game. Uh, Gareth Bale, you know, rescuing uh, rescuing them with a point. So so yeah, so I think it's there's been some really really you know, good stuff played on the pitch. It's just a shame that a lot of the mainstream media attention is being drawn on stuff that's going on off the pitch, which is a real shame. Don't talk about England. I don't talk about England, but you're no. right. It's, it's hard to escape the off-field stuff, and hopefully at some point the football does take priority. But given what's happened over there in Qatar, leading up to the we know all the issues have spoken about them time and time again, but it's not a surprise that they've become front and centre to the story for a lot of the world's media and some of the some of the media commentators have come out and panned them, including Roy Kenny said World Cup shouldn't be here. You've got to give them credit for coming out and being so strong given they're on the ground over there. I think uh, Gary Neville being on doing you know, having a rant on um on uh, be in sports, which is owned by the Qatari state. Oh, that that was ballsy. I know. I know. Be in. Um, eventually, they they sort of they should delete his tweet after they after they shared it out. But yo, know, him coming out on be in and really sort of yo know, deadpanning um, deadpanning FIFA, which was a lot of it was truth. Um, Gary, Gary Neville does speak a lot of truth there, but I think just the absolute balls to actually um, to actually sort of say it on. On that platform, that's uh, you got you got to give him respect for that. But and the other, actually, the other the other thing that you know I think is highly embarrassing is that if the organisers are going to inflate crowd numbers, at least at least um, keep it to within the actual normal capacity. Like it seems very very stupid when you announce eighty seven thousand two hundred twenty seven at a stadium that holds eighty thousand people and is obviously seats empty. There's seven thousand people on the roof. That's what that's that's what that means. <laughs> Apparently, <yeah. laughs> well, there might be seven thousand people in the underground jail. I, I don't, I don't know. But and, that, and that's and that's actually what's really, really scary. So that's happened pretty much every game where the nominal capacity that's been published, and they're coming out with figures, you know, the fan figures that are three or four thousand above that. So, I, <laughs> like, it's, again. Again, like I said, the football's great, but some of the stuff off the pitch—it's sometimes you, like there's some very, very serious issues. But some of these, like the attendance embellishments, all you gotta do is laugh. No, the beer, the beer stuff, I think, is actually quite funny as well. Like uh, grown human beings, you know, pretty much crying because they can't have a have a beer at the football. That's actually uh, <laughs> there's a bit of comedy in that. There is a little bit. We will hopefully next week better focus more on the football than the off-field stuff. We'll be back next week on the Brisbane Football Review to recap the Brisbane Raw game against Canberra Saturday afternoon at Perry Park. Get out there for that one. It's a good crowd on Saturday. Hopefully another good crowd to get the Raw over the line 6.06 and also the World Cup next week. Adam, thanks for me once again. Yep, thank you and good night. All right, we'll be back next week. We'll talk to you then.